Hey, today we're going to be in the book of Hosea, if you want to find that. It might take you a little while. It's one of the Old Testament prophets, and it's kind of toward the end of the Old Testament. So that's where we're going to be. Let me begin with a story. There's a little girl. She was helping her mom do dishes. And while she was sitting there watching her mother kind of work at the, uh, at the sink, she noticed her mother had a, a few gray hairs, and they sort of st- stuck out in contrast to the other hair that she had, which was auburn. And so she said, Mom, why do you have gray hair? Which, you know, kids ask questions, and uh, every man knows not to ask that question. But anyway, she, she asked the question, Hey, Mom, why do you have those gray hairs? Now, this, this mother was kind of wise, and she thought this is a teachable moment. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do a little teaching here. And she said, well, every time you make me cry and every time you make me unhappy, I get a gray hair. And the little girl thought about that a minute, and she said, is that why Grandma is full of gray hair? Or is that, is that your, are you the reason for that? The, the, the holiday of Mother's Day is, is kind of complex because you got some people who are just killing it as mothers, and you're happy as you can be, and your kids are all happy, and it's unicorns and rainbows, and, and it's all good, and you've got some young mothers, and, and it's going great for you, and, you, and it's, 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 it's awesome, and Mother's Day for you is, is great. But there are others who wanted to be a mother and can't become a mother, and then there's that sort of little hole in your heart, and, and that's difficult, or, or you have, have a child, and, and you're not in a great relationship with them right now, and, and that can be quite confounding, and Mother's Day doesn't help that at all. You've got some people who have chosen not to be a mom, and you kind of feel left out a little bit, and you've got some folks who maybe lost a mother or lost a child or terminated a pregnancy, and there's some guilt and, and some regret sometimes that goes with that. The thing is, being a parent isn't just always a Hallmark card moment, and there's some, there's some, um, some social science research about this. It's kind of interesting. On average, marital satisfaction actually goes down when you have kids. That explains a lot for some of you guys. In a classic study, young mothers were asked what tasks you like the most, including child care. Child care didn't come in first. It didn't come in second. There were 19 categories. It came in 16th behind things like food preparation, house cleaning, and exercise. I've got four daughters. Uh, I'm the father of four daughters. My wife and I have four kids. And uh, I remember we had the first three within about four years. Uh, we sort of, uh, we, were, we were busy, and uh, so we had four kind of early, uh, you know, and kind of, kind of. and I remember coming in one time, now, you know, as a young dad, you got to give us a little grace, because we're, there's a, a technical word for this, we're stupid, and uh, we don't really know anything, and I came in one day, and Miriam just looked tired, she just looked worn out, and, and I, I'm, I'm innocent, and I just sort of said, honey, you, you kind of you look tired, what's up? My wife is the sweetest wife. She's the sweetest woman on the planet. But she says to me, you have no idea what it's like. You have to uh, clean up after somebody. You, you're always having to feed them. Uh, you're always at their beck and call. And then she said, that's just you. Now I have three kids. So, uh, uh, and the thing is, you never, st- they don't tell you this when you start becoming a parent. When, when you think about being a parent, nobody tells you you never, you never get to not be a parent. Once you start you're on that train forever. Because my kids will call me. When, here's the deal with girls and dads and moms. Here's the deal. My daughters will call Miriam, and mostly it's to chat. When my girls call their dad, it's about my car broke. I mean, it's kind of one of those things. So, hey, Dad, how do you fix a flat tire? Get a boyfriend. Uh, you know, that's kind of my, my strategy with it. So there's this 
there's just kind of, you never get over this, right? I mean, parenting is just something that you do. And for some, it just looks easy, but I can guarantee you this, it's never easy. It's not easy for any of us. And, and there are times when we're disappointed. Now, there's a British dad who wrote a letter, and this has gone viral, and you may have seen it, but I want to read a little bit of it to you because he sort of vents his frustration at being a parent. And listen to this. Got three kids. Dear all three, with last evening's crop of whining and tidings of more rotten news for which you seem to treat your mother like a cesspit, I feel it is time for me to come off my perch. It is obvious that none of you has the faintest notion of the bitter disappointments you are to, each of you are to us in your own way, dishing out to us. We have constantly regaled with, we are constantly regaled with the chapter and verse of the happy, successful lives of families and of our friends and relatives and being asked the news of our own children and grandchildren. I wonder if you realize how we feel. I can now tell you that I, for one, and I sense mom feels the same, because that's how you speak in Britain, mom. Mom feels the same. We have had enough of being forced to live through the never-ending bad dream of our children's underachievement. And then he ends with this. He ends with this. I want to hear no more from any of you until, if you feel inclined, you have a success or an achievement or a realistic plan. I am bitterly, bitterly disappointed. Dad. Now, it could make you feel better, uh, but that is excruciatingly sad. And some of you are the other direction. You're, you're disappointed in your parents. They didn't, they didn't live up to your expectations. And today we're going to talk about where do you go when you have a heart that's disappointed. Because we have a good, good father who has a profound reason to be disappointed in every one of us, honestly. Chris said it a minute ago, we're all kind of prodigals. And he, as a good, good father, sets a model for us on how to treat a prodigal son. Now, he did have one perfect son, and then there's the rest of us. It kind of reminds me of my family. One perfect son, and then there are my sisters. Uh, so, uh, uh, I get this. I get this. But today we're in Hosea. We're going to be in chapter 11. And I'm going to read a little bit of it to you. This is the cool thing about the Bible. This is one particular time where God is kind of talking to his people, Israel, his chosen people. Today we're his chosen people. And it's sort of like a father talking to a child. And we're going to look at some of this. And then we're going to kind of unpack it a little bit. In Hosea 11:1, it says, When Israel was a child, and this is God speaking, when Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. And every, I think, nearly every parent that's ever had a kid understands what it's like to love their child. And, and the Israelites had been in bondage in Egypt for hundreds of years, and God delivered them. And you would think, here's a parenting thing, you'd think if you do something nice for your kids, there would be some appreciation. We all feel that. We, we make sacrifices. I mean, how many of us have given up having a boat because our kid needed, uh, you know, braces? Or uh, we, we've given up this to give them that. I mean, we, we do these things. We make sacrifices. And God is saying, Israel was a child. I loved him. And I rescued him. I mean, I did this amazing thing. And then look at how, what happens. But the more they were called, the more they went away from me. I tried to draw them close, but they wouldn't be drawn close. They sacrifice to the Baals. These are idols. You know, God, you know, one of, the, one of the first commandments, have no other gods before me. And so this breaks God's heart. They sacrifice to the Baals, these idols, and they burn incense to these other idols. And it was 
I who taught Ephraim to walk. And you see that tender, I mean, you remember when your kids started to walk, and here's God saying, I, I taught my people to walk. I, I, I was there with them through this struggle, um, taking them by the arms, but they did not realize it was I who healed them. Will they not return to Egypt, and will Assyria rule over them because they refuse to repent? And so God has this, <laughs> this moment where he's saying, my kids have wandered away, and now what am I going to do? And then, then he kind of goes on, swords will flash in their cities. It's going to be bad for them. Uh, it will devour their false prophets and put an end to their plans. My people are determined to turn from me. And some of us as parents understand what that feel like feels like when our kids are determined to turn from us. And even though they call me God most high, I will by no means exalt them. And there's this insight into God's heart. And honestly, here's the truth of the matter. God has every right to be the most disappointed parent who ever existed because you and I fail him all the time. In fact, look at this verse. Out of, the, out of all the peoples of the face of the earth, the God has chosen you to be his treasured possession. This indicates how God feels about you. And if you wake up, and if you have somebody in your life to love, and if you have a body that works, and if you sleep, and if you have food, we have a, we have a reason to be thankful to God. But just like the Israelites in the time of Hosea, he said they sacrifice to the Baals, and they burn incense to images. Today we have different idols. It would be something... Instead of turning to God, we turn to success. Or instead of turning to God, we turn to pride. Or it could be entertainment. Or it could be sex. Or it could be money. Um, and, and God will say about us, just like he said about the Israelites, my kids have rebelled. And, and in this, I think he is saying, I thought we were going to have this amazing relationship. I thought they were going to be straight-A students. I thought they were going to play for the varsity. I thought they were going to get into... University of South Carolina or Clemson or if God really smiled, the University of Kentucky. I, I thought <clears throat> I was going to have wonderful bumper sticker kids. And the reality is they're just not that wonderful. And God expresses his disappointment as a parent with a broken heart. And here's a truth that might be comforting to you as parents. Why would we think we're above disappointment when God himself isn't? And I have no doubt in my mind about myself that I have sorely disappointed my Heavenly Father. I, I, can, I can take you to places, I can name events where I know without question I disappointed my Heavenly Father. And so Hosea goes on and God kind of laments, oh my word, I, these, these kids of mine, is basically what he's saying. Can you believe these kids of mine? I do this for them. I, I saved them out of, uh, out of Egypt. I've done so much. I thought we would be in a great relationship, and yet they've turned from me, and God is bitterly disappointed. And you wonder, like this British father, is he going to say, I want to hear no more from you until you do something to please me? Because too many times we think that we have to, if we want to turn back to God, Let's say we wander away. Too many of us have this notion that we have to do something to get back into God's good graces. Look at verse 8. But how can I give up on you? That's a, that's, a, that's a father's heart. That's a mother's heart. How can I give up on you? 
How can I hand you over? My heart is changed within me. One translation says my heart churns within me. All my compassion is aroused. And then verse 9, I will not carry out my fierce anger because I have hope that you're going to get better, uh, because uh, you've shown me that you have every intention of making your life right. You're doing some things. No, no, no. I will not carry out my fierce anger for I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. And this is what holy people do. And too many times we've lost the word holy in Scripture because we think it separates us from God. Be holy as God is holy. And we think, well, I can't be holy because that's perfect and I can't be perfect. The holiness of God doesn't separate us from God. It draws us to God. Holiness isn't an obstacle to God. It's not an obstacle to love. It's the reason that he says, I will not carry out my fierce anger on them. See, love's not a feeling. We, we watch the Hallmark Channel. Anybody watch the Hallmark Channel? Men, you should not raise your hand. Uh, anybody? Great. Um, we're, the lesson, that I have to watch it because I have girls. So uh, that's my thing right there. Uh, you're not getting my man card. Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, and, and you look, look at the title on the Hallmark Channel. Uh, love never dies. Uh, love comes back from the grave. Or, you know, I don't know. It's just the craziest titles, you know. Love never fails. The prince is lo- in love with the pauper. Uh, whatever. All of the, and the notion is love is this feeling. I, I got this feeling. But love's really, love is a commitment. Uh, when we stand on a stage, I went one too far. Love is a commitment. It's a promise. I love you no matter how you treat me. And God was saying to Israel, you're not treating me well. However, however. I'm making a commitment to you. And here's the thing with parents. We think that if we love our kids enough, they're going to kill it in life. They're going to be successful. They're going to be respectful. They're going to do everything we think they ought to do. They're going to, you know, be a titan of industry. We get this notion that if we just love them enough, we love them and we love them, and as hard as you try, sometimes they go off. Sometimes our hearts are disappointed. We, we all get disappointed hearts. And in this text in Hosea, God's heart was disappointed. So let's talk about what you do. If you find yourself this morning with a disappointed heart, it doesn't necessarily have to be with a child, but let's say that it is. What do you do with a disappointed heart? I'm going to give you three things you can do. Number one, you talk to God about it because there's nobody that understands it better than God. Because here's what happens. What's in your heart leaks out. It just does. I read this little interesting article. Uh, this, this mom was talking about a meltdown day. And every mom's going to understand this day. It's the day that all your kids, every kid does something wrong all at the same time. And something breaks and something spills. And there's you know crying and they're fighting with each other. And, and so you, you get mad at yourself because you've yelled at them. And they, they've just been horrible. And you kind of not responded well. And and, and she was just frustrated with the kids, and she's just kind of angry with herself. And so she just says, everybody, we're going to go outside. Let's just go play outside. And they go outside, and they're playing. And her four-year-old son comes up to her, and he says, Mommy, are you angry with me? And she says, No, honey, we're outside, we're playing. Look at this smile on my face. And he said, this is a great quote, 
Why are your eyebrows angry? And like the Eagles one time saying, you can't hide your lying eyebrows. I mean, you just can't. You can't. And here's the problem. Some people think that church is this club where everybody is strong and healthy and every family is put together and there's no depression and there's no problems and there's no conflict and there's no estrangement and everybody's family is good and everybody that's in here is good. And the truth of the matter is, this is what church is. Church is a place where nobody's perfect. I don't care what church it is. Nobody's perfect. Everybody should be welcome. With God, anything is possible. We're, we're not people who come together to celebrate the fact that we've got everything put together. We come together because we need encouragement. And everybody needs some encouragement. If you find yourself disappointed today, you bring that to God. You grieve it. You cry over it. Because God understands Go to Hosea 11 and read Hosea 11. It's like, oh my gosh, God is just like me. He's disappointed just like me. The second thing, and this is huge, you don't base your well-being on your, of your heart on the outcome of somebody else's life. There's an old saying I heard from a mother's heart, how a mother heart, mother's heart works, and it says this, a mother can be no happier than her least happy child. And that sounds tender, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. If there's a Mount Rushmore of stupidity, that would be on it, along with believe in yourself and uh, follow your heart. Um, have you ever heard of trophy wives? Anybody? You know what a trophy wife is. Some ugly old dude who has a lot of money marries a young girl. She becomes armed candy, right? He, he parades her around. You know why there are no trophy husbands? Because women are not that shallow. Uh, but uh, you've heard of it. You've seen it. You watch the NBA, man, it's NBA, and everybody on the front row, uh, they're all old men with really attractive wives. I mean, it's kind of like, oh, you got that, yeah, we know how that happened. All right, so, we understand trophy wives. Do you know, some of us, we have trophy kids, and, and we want people to grade us on what our kids do. Our kid's a great athlete, somehow that's supposed to reflect on me. Our kid's a great musician, somehow that's supposed to reflect on me. Our kid is brilliant. In my case, that does reflect on me, but, that, but that, that's, that's not the point. I, I tell people that my girls are athletic, intelligent, and good-looking, and I'm sure they got something from their mother, uh, so, uh, uh, which is absolutely the opposite of how that works. But anyway, I kind of like, it's, it's, called, it's called deception, and, and that happens for me sometimes. But we have, we have kids, and we want, to, we want to write something on Facebook about how great they are because somehow we feel like that makes us feel great about us. Like, my kid has to be successful for me to be successful. And your well-being and your connection with God should not rest on the outcome of your child's life. We've taken the word parents. It's a noun. And we've made it into a verb. We're parenting. How's your parenting going? And if your kid is kind of in the, in the you know, prodigal place, we, we're not parenting well. Now, what if, what if God did that? What if God judged himself on how his kids behaved? Think about that. Just think about that just for a second. If God judged himself on how his kids are doing, 
What, what would he have to say? What would his inner conversation be to him? What would, he, what would he say to himself? I'm not godding very well today. I should have godded them better. I, I must have been too strict on them. I must have been too lenient on them. I didn't love them enough. I mean, God doesn't say these things to himself. God never looks at his own existence based on the outcome of his kids. Here's the deal. We love our kids. We will absolutely mess them up because we are sinners. How many of us, I mean, if, if we were to raise our hand, and I'm not asking you to, how many of us have regrets in at least something we've done with our kids? And I think we would all raise our hands. I would. I, I can look at individual moments where I wish with all my heart I could undo it. I said something I didn't mean, or I said something I did mean, I shouldn't have said. Each one of my girls, I can look at each one of them. I've got four. i got a lot of regret in some of that stuff that I wish I hadn't done. I had to apologize for. I've had to ask forgiveness. We, we all mess up as a parent. I'm not sure that grace is ever more obviously needed in my life than as a parent. Because I mess up so much. But here's the truth. Love doesn't mean putting my personal well-being in the hands of my least emotional healthy relative. Generally speaking, I think this is true. You're a much better mom. You're a much better dad. You're a much better friend. You're a much better co-worker. If you live in your relationship with the Lord. There's a guy named King David in the Old Testament. King David... It's called a man after God's own heart. But i got to tell you, his life was jacked up a lot. He wasn't a very good dad. He wasn't a very good husband. I mean, he really, he really had some issues. Now, you look at David, he did some great things. But my word, he was flawed. You talk about a flawed dude. I like that it says about David that he's a man after God's own heart because that guy was really flawed. And if he can be a man after God's own heart, we all can be. We can all be people after God's own heart. Because David certainly was far from perfect. And there's a time in his life where he's the king of Israel and his son tries to abdicate the throne, tries to have a coup. In fact, he has a coup. And his son overthrows his dad. Now, you think about, you think you had a bad parenting day? At least your kid isn't overthrowing the kingdom that you're the king of. I mean, that's a bad day. And David is at this low point in his life and it says something in 1 Samuel. David encouraged himself. Not that his kids were great. Not that on Facebook he could say, hey, my son won the race or hit a home run or my daughter made band. David encouraged himself in the Lord. There's a lady by the name of Judy Hampton. She wrote a book about how to parent a prodigal. The title is Ready, Set, Go. She has a prodigal, and she says this, The greatest thing you can do for your prodigal is to live the most godly, wonderful, exciting, joy-filled, abundant Christian life as evidence of your relationship to Christ. Your life can testify to the fact that there is no happier life, no more fulfilling life than the one found in abiding in Jesus daily. You hear what she's saying? You have a prodigal, then you get on with your life. You don't live in the misery of somebody else's misery. Number three, this is huge. Remember, their choices 
lead to their consequences. Now, Hosea 12. We're back to Hosea. Look at what it says. Ephraim bitterly provoked God to anger, so God will allow Ephraim to be held accountable. There's accountability. He, we don't have to bail our kids out every time something bad happens to them. This is one of the most difficult things in the world to do. And part of the problem is, I think we misinterpret Proverbs 22.6. Train a child in the way he should go. Because here's what we, we, we consider that, that, that's like ironclad promise. And Proverbs are not ironclad promises. They're ideas that generally work. So, so let's talk about it just for a second. First, if you treat that as an ironclad promise, what you're going to, if then your kid gets sideways a little bit, you're going to think, well, it has to do with my parenting. That's not what this verse is about. Train up a child in the way he should go is, generally speaking, that usually works. If you train up a child in the way he should go, then eventually he'll get back on the path. Usually, yes. Always, no. But here's what's even more important, and you've got to understand this. Every one of us is free to disobey God. You have a free choice. And if your child chooses to disobey God, that's their choice. And here's a truth you've got to, got to, got to understand. Parents can influence their kids' behavior, and you should. But parents can't determine their kids' behavior. Because they have a free will. You think of God's first kids, Adam and Eve, train wreck, man. Does that mean God was a bad parent? I mean, Adam and Eve really didn't, they didn't do good things. They had one father, his name was God. It's not like God messed up with them. Parents, your kids have free will and sometimes they're going to choose to do the wrong thing. And if that happens, I'm going to give you four things to do. You pray like crazy. And I need you to hear this. Do you believe really deep inside your heart, do you believe that God cares more about them than you do? Can you release them to God who loves them and cares about them more than you do? Our daughter Mallory, when she was little, three years old, we had a, I had a car accident. Mallory was in the car. And um, she ruptured her spleen. We found out later she broke a leg. And she had a tear in her intestine, her large intestine. These are all dangerous things. The leg thing, not so much, but uh, anything internal. And if you've ever had a sick child, and some of you have, and it, it's just gut-wrenching. And I remember going into the hospital and, and there was, it was a big adult bed and she's this big, I mean this big in this big bed and, and every time the nurse would come in to take blood she would scream, I mean it was like, it was, it was horrible. And they were checking her blood count and they were trying to make sure she was going to be okay and, and her, blood, her white blood count was too high and they were afraid maybe they missed something. They had cut her open to fix her spleen, they had cut her open and while they were fixing her spleen they had noticed that her large intestine was torn so they fixed that. But they were afraid that maybe large intestine was torn someplace else and that was the need for all the white blood cells and they were about to have to go back in. They said, we're going to give this a week and if in a week her, blood count is, her white blood cell count is too high, we're going to have to go back in. Now, I'm going to tell you this. As a dad, <laughs> it's horrible. 
And she's so little and you want to protect her. And Miriam and I got on our knees and we said, God, we know you love her more than we do. And as a parent of a prodigal, you can say, God, I know that you love her, that you love him more than we do. Mallory ended up not having to have surgery. I need, I need to end the story for you, but uh, she was okay. She went home and she was limping, and we found out about a month later she had a broken leg. I, I mean, it was, uh, I was like, come on, suck it up. It's not that bad. Uh, and uh, she, her mother much more compassionate than me. Be gentle in your disappointment. Remember that you also disappoint God. There's a cool verse in 1 Corinthians 13 that says, Love always looks for the best. And if they feel as if your kid feels as if you're constantly disappointed, you can say, We're disappointed in your choices, but we love you. And then three, you live by your values, not theirs. Let's go back to Hosea just for a second. Who is wise, let him realize these things. Who is discerning, let him understand. The ways of the Lord are right, no matter who says they're not right. And the righteous walk in them, but the rebellious stumble in them. And one last thing, and this is important. If you are parenting a prodigal, you are not alone. Let me end with a story. In Asheville, near Asheville, there's the Billy Graham Training Center. It's called The Cove. And occasionally I'll go there for a conference. I went there a couple of weeks ago. Um, Jim Cimbala was the, was the speaker, and it was all pastors. So in this room, packed with four or 500 pastors, Jim Cimbala is a teacher. And by the way, he's the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle. And you may have heard of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. That, that's his church. He's a great, great man and just a cool cat. And, and he was talking about prodigal kids. It was interesting to me. And in a room of all pastors, these are all pastors, he just says, if you have a prodigal child and you'd like somebody to pray for you, I'm going to invite you, when we, we, I'm going to invite you to come forward. He kind of had an invitation. A room of four or five hundred pastors, at least half of them went forward. You're not alone if you've got a prodigal child. And those of us who don't have a prodigal child now, we pray for our kids and we pray for the prodigal kids that we know of and we pray for the parents of prodigal kids. And we join folks in praying for their kids. Because it's a tough deal, man. It's a tough thing. And I remember simultaneously feeling sorry for the folks who walked forward and thankful that my kids are okay right now. But I, I use the caveat right now. Because we all have a, <laughs> a... There's always... We all could become a prodigal. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. Oh, it's been fun to see these beautiful children and their moms and dads. And we pray blessings on their grandparents and their brothers and sisters and uncles and everybody who came today and aunts. Because it's been a joy to see the potential these kids possess. And Lord, it's been good to look at your word to be reminded that we are all prodigals. That we all have, we all have a, a chance to come back to you when we walk away and that you're patient with us. 
And we've been reminded today that if we have a prodigal, we can come to you because you know our hearts and you feel us. You feel us right where we are. We pray, Father, that you would be um, honored by what we've done today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.